You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, your word is delightful, and it changes our lives. It brings into our, our daily work and our daily, our daily existence the bread of life so that we might honor and, and uh, obey you in all that we do. Father, we pray this morning as we study your word, as we look into it, the things that are difficult might be made clear, and as much as our human mind can assimilate, we ask you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to illuminate us with your word so that we might honor and glorify you. Might we do that today as, as we uh, contemplate what you have to say in this, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we finished up with, um, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we finished up with verse 10, I believe. I've got, this, I've got such a mess here. Yeah, verse 10. And some questions were asked, which I successfully dodged last week, but I can't successfully dodge again. <clears throat> no, I didn't want to dodge it. I just wanted to give it. It, it's, uh, it was a, an issue that needed a little bit of treatment. Um, verse 10. Well, actually, let's, uh, let's get our context. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. And let's read, um, let's read one through. Let's just read the whole chapter. <laughs> That'll give us good, good context. And it's, it's, it's smarter than I am anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer." Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we finished up with verse 10, um, 9 and 10. Therefore, Paul says this. He says, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And then verse 10, for we must all appear before the the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so... We talked about the fact that there are very few occasions when ambition is good in men. When it is sanctified by the Word of God and the ambition is put into the heart by the Holy Spirit to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is a good ambition. More often than not, though, every other ambition seeks to achieve at the expense of others, seeks to use others to get to where they want to be. And then following that, we looked at the issue of the Bema seat, the judgment seat. All will appear there, and all, all Christians will appear there. This is a judgment of believers, and a believer's good deeds will be rewarded, and his bad deeds will not. We, we reminded ourselves that there is no punishment, no punishment there. The punishment was taken by Christ on the cross, period. Said It's done away with. But we will, I believe... By Scripture, we will at that time know we could have done things that we did not do. But it's one of the analogies that was given, and no, I'm not going to waste the time so we missed the question. One of the analogies that was given was it was like a graduation where um, it's like a graduation where a person is sitting there, recognizes that he could have done better, but the overarching cons- or the overarching emotion is one of joy because you made it, you got through. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's entirely appropriate to be excited and joyful, and Christ will, will reward those things that, do, that are benefited, that are due reward, and he will not reward those things that are not. So last week, the question was asked that if God, and I'm hoping I got this question right, already knows the future, How can he hold us accountable for good or bad works that we do? Is that the essence of the question? The question is actually founded in the debate between the concepts of predestination versus free will. If man has free will, then he can certainly be held accountable for everything he does. But if God has preordained salvation and the good works, how can he hold men accountable for salvation, for their good works? There are several different views of predestination. I will not treat all of them because that in itself would be a, a wonderful lesson. But we'll, we'll go through uh, a t- the, the most common one that the church has. The most commonly one held in the church is often what is called the humanist view. That is that man is free to make spontaneous free choices and as such he chooses salvation or hell. God, who can look down through time, sees those believers who will choose salvation and with his foresight elects those people to eternal life. 
That is one of the most commonly held views in the church. It's called, and I, it's been dubbed the humanist view. The problem with this view is that it still leaves the decision for salvation in the hands of men. Men have both moral and moral abilities and natural abilities. Men are naturally able to speak, think, and walk. Men cannot fly because God did not equip them to do that. And there were many who think we shouldn't fly even if we had the equipment, but that's another story. Men also have, a, have moral abilities. At creation, God gave man the ability to make choices, and he was a free agent as such. At the fall, the moral nature of man was corrupted. He lost his moral liberty because he is in bondage to sin. Man is no longer able to choose righteousness. He is no longer able to choose righteousness. That part of his free agency is gone. Men will never make the decision because of their sinful nature to bend their knee to the Creator and choose salvation. They will not. They will choose darkness, it says in John. They will always choose darkness. That goes against our pride. Well, I could make... I'm a nice guy. I'm halfway decent. <laughs> I see a few people in here who know me and their eyes went... That means I get halfway to heaven, yeah. The stairway to heaven ends at, you know, like Kennebunkport, Maine or something. Men will never make that decision because their nature is corrupted. They cannot make that decision. The moral ability to be righteous or sinful has been so corrupted that men will only choose sin. Prior to regeneration, that is, being born again, men will only choose evil. Upon regeneration, which Jesus said was to be born again in John 3, 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, a teacher of Israel, he said, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Men are able then to see the kingdom of God and with the faith that God then gives them, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, that faith not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. So at that point, men, regenerated men, are able to choose salvation. Now the good works come into view. Now a born-again, a regenerated, saved man or woman can enter into the good works that God has ordained for them prior to time. This is wholly a work of the sovereign God of the universe, it is not something we did. We cannot do it. Don't, don't despair. It's not like you could and you wouldn't. You didn't. You can't and you wouldn't. God does not look down through time and see the men and women who will choose him and thus elect them. God chose them from time immemorial. immemorial. Jesus taught that no one could come to him unless it was granted to him to come by the Father. In John 6, 44, and for those who were here for Jim's wonderful exposition of the book of John, this, this excellent um, position was driven home again and again. Jesus said this, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, when you hear the word draw, what do you think about you're drawing water. Come here. That's actually, you jumped ahead again on me, Peter. 
But it's a good answer, perfect answer. You, you think of, come on, come on, come here. Calling a calf to drink a, belt, a bottle, well, you don't have to call him to drink a bottle of water, but, but maybe to do something else to him. Come on, come on, it's okay, come on. Drawing, wooing. Lest we understand, misunderstand that word, um, and some who do not believe in sovereign election have done this. They have concluded that it means to woo or to encourage. Well, look at how the word is used in the New Testament, as well as its definition. In James chapter 2, the same word is used, James 2, 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally woo you into court. No, they drag you into court. Same word. In Acts chapter 16, it is used as well. Acts chapter 16, 19. Uh, speaking of the girl who was uh, making her masters a lot of profit with her forthtelling. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. One may draw a sliver out of their hand, but let's face it, you don't woo it out. You cut the wound open, you grab it with a pair of tweezers, and you yank it out. This is what the word means. It means to drag. It's a word that means to compel. It's a word that means to um, compel in a manner that overcomes resistance. Context and style may dictate an occasional translation using the word draw, as Peter pointed out, drawing water. But even there, you don't look down in the well and go, come on, water. I'm so thirsty. Would you help me out? No, you drop the bucket into it and you, you crank the crank and you bring it up. You pull it up. God didn't woo you to salvation. He drug you. And in, I forgot to put this scripture down, but in Jude, it, it, uh, there's a, a particularly interesting picture of people being drugged into heaven, kicking and screaming with the smell of hell still on their clothes. <laughs> that is the God we serve. He chose you, he loved you, and he made you one of his children. You wouldn't have done it. Okay, what's that? Lead is fine as long as you understand that you've got a halter around your neck and you're going. <laughs> you know, I, I've led some steers. I, I, when you say that, I have a picture of me 15 years old when we, Pete and I were trying to break our steers for the fair. And he's going across, he's on his face going across the field with that steer just, that's not the kind of lead. No, no. Yes, lead, but with a purpose. A, a, a leading that is a superiority that's going to overcome your resistance. God saved you. Peter. I'm curious from an evangelistic point of view, and if anybody's done this, and basically if this would be a good idea, one of the counterpoints you'll hear a lot of times when you're witnessing somebody is that, well, I, I have free will. We have free will. That's, we have that. I can choose whatever I want. To look at them and say, prove it. How's that working out for you? Choose, choose Christ right now. Yeah. I challenge you because you can't do it to bring them up against that. Would that be a good thing or would that be antagonistic? Would that be something to, to bring light to their, their false premise or would it be more? I think it would depend on the person and the context of the, of the uh, discussion, how, what it, how the discussion had come about, what you were working on and your friendship with them, etc. You may be free to do that. It sounds a little antagonistic, but... Yeah, it's, but, but depending on who you were talking to, if it's somebody you've witnessed to a million times who you love and you've known, maybe it's time to use that. I don't know. It's a sound statement. It's a sound statement. You can't choose. They can't. Not unless the Holy Spirit regenerates them. They cannot. Correct. And, and that's hard to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. 
Because we want to think we're okay. Nathel. It really isn't. Free will indicates that God is not sovereign, that we can choose to do anything we want, and we can overcome his will. That would be a statement indeed, to overcome God's will. So we can make choices. We can make choices, and we have will within the parameters that God has set. And at, at the, at the um, fall, our will, our, boy, I'm really echoing. At the fall, our will was so corrupted that we could not make the, the correct choice, the good choice. Yes? If a non-believer had been sitting through this Bible study for a while and heard what we're hearing and said, I'm not being led. I just don't feel the call. So I guess... If a bus hits you right now, <laughs> I'm going to jump out of the way. We can carry this to whatever extreme you guys here want to. <laughs> and you, you do realize that this discussion has been going on for 2,000 years. <laughs> and that's going to be one of my disclaimers. I'm going to do my very best to help you understand what I have come to understand. Um, and I think properly, but when it comes, when, when push comes to shove, there's a couple of things that we need to remember. Is God true? Is God true? That's one of his characteristics. Is everything he said in his word true? Even the things that I haven't quite got figured out yet, are they true? Okay. And we're going to talk about a couple of the others that, that we take on faith because we can, we can only go so far in describing and explaining them, and then we have to just stop and say, well, God has said it, therefore it's true. His track record is perfect. His scripture is true. So we'll get to that. Pat. No, it's not possible. If he calls you to be one of his children, you will go. With the smell of, of hell on your clothes, you will go. You will go. God doesn't make mistakes, Brian. No.
can't right. No, we can't. I was in Peter's particular case. I was talking about somebody that he's. I assumed he's already he's been preaching the gospel too, and this question came up in the context of preaching the gospel. But yes, it's the word of God that I'm not ashamed of, and that will bring men to salvation. Not my brilliant or not so brilliant didactin. A didaction? How's that, Jenny? New word. You can decide inside the, the, the will of God. You can trust Christ. You can make a decision to believe. But because he called you, because he drew you, because he saved you. I don't think we're going to solve this today, but here we go. Right. That that play between the salvation that is is a gift from God, that faith is our gift, and our role we play are dovetailed together. They're not juxtaposed against each other, but they do show that personal responsibility that God's sovereign will. And it's amazing. But for people who aren't believers, they're not gonna they're not gonna see that. And it's a very scary place for them to be when they're relying on their feelings. Those feelings are always changing. So I think bringing attention to the fact that We can sing it. Yeah. Just gotta have, yeah, Jim. When I do evangelism training out of Copenhagen Bible Camp, I tell the kids it's best to use biblical language to communicate biblical concepts. So let's not let's talk about repentance and faith. And repentance and faith. Because nowhere in Scripture is the response to the gospel couched in terms of making a decision. I decided to do something. What did he say to the Philippian jailer? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you. So, this word, back, back to this word, draw, um, I want to summarize. Man has the ability to choose, but his ability to choose was lost at the fall. Upon regeneration, God gives him the faith to believe. And he believes. And he believes unto righteousness. And, accompanying that belief is the ability now to do good works. So men may decide to trust Christ because they have been chosen, and I use that word decide, but to, chosen by a sovereign God to have eternal life. Upon salvation, man's moral agency is now sanctified and he can, he can do good works that are genuine good works. In the same way that his salvation was foreseen and accomplished by a sovereign God, foreseen but also accomplished by a sovereign God, he 
upon being given the faith to do so, trusted Christ, he can choose to do the good works that God has foreordained for him to do. There is no way that this will settle this issue, which has been hotly debated for two millennia. But suffice it to say that the scriptures teach clearly that man cannot and will not choose righteousness. He will always choose darkness. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So the scriptures clearly teach that men will not choose. The scriptures clearly teach that no one can come to Christ unless the Father drags them to him. Upon having his heart and mind changed by regeneration, being born again, man can then trust Christ with the faith that God gives and believe unto righteousness. After salvation with this new mind, which was given to him at salvation, all things have become new. We're going to get to that. That's in further on in 2 Corinthians. It's exciting stuff. All things have become new. All things. He can then enter into the works that were foreordained for him in eternity past by choosing to do them. These things are clearly taught in Scripture, and although the human mind cannot fully grasp them, it is incumbent upon us to trust the Scripture. This explains to some degree, as far as the human mind can understand, the tension, and I use that word not in, a, in, a, in an emotional way, just in a, a forensic way. The tension that exists between the concepts of predestination and human will regarding salvation. There is no question that God is sovereign. The scriptures teach it, and yet there is no question that man must believe in order to be saved. The scriptures teach that also. Another of the great truths that scripture teaches is that God is characterized by attributes over the millennia. He's characterized by, taught over the millennia that God is characterized by certain attributes. The list is, this list is by no means comprehensive, but it does communicate some aspects of God that we can study and understand from Scripture. The list includes eternality, mercy, goodness, omnipotence, grace, omnipresence, holiness, omniscience, imminence, righteousness, immutability, self-existence, justice, sovereignty, love, and transcendence. Because he is all these things, and because he has told us he is perfectly trustworthy, and because he has demonstrated his trustworthiness, we can know that when he tells us that he has elected us, and yet he requires us to believe him for salvation, it is true. He has also told us that from the foundation of time, or even before, he has prepared good works for us. But he has also told us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, doing the good works that he has prepared for us. It is because of his character that we see in his revelation, the scriptures, that we believe these things. These are mysteries that we trust because he has told us they are true. The concept of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, a perfect union of God and man in a human body that was prophesied about and culminated 2,000 years ago. The idea of a triune God, three persons in one God, explained in scripture with enough information that we can believe in it, but by no means perfectly explain it. Indeed, when we try to use metaphors, they fall short, and they will always fall short. The egg, the triple point of water, blah, blah, blah. You, you can't box the triune God up and package him with some sort of mathematical explanation. But his scriptures teach these, these things. Because he is these things... These are all scriptural things, yet to some degree, some of them are mysterious. 
I do not believe we will ever be able to completely understand the divine mind, and that is as it should be, because God is infinite and we are not. It is in this context that we accept both the decree that God has prepared works for us, and yet we are to do good works. We are to choose to do good works. Divine sovereignty in no way negates human responsibility. Human responsibility exists inside the context of divine sovereignty. And so even though God has already prepared the works for me to do, he will still reward me for them. Think about that. Jim brought this up when I asked him a couple of questions. Yeah, he's, he's ordained, foreordained these works. We're going to do them. So in one, the, the, uh, the Arminianist would say we have no choice but to do them. Yes, we do. But even though he's ordained them from time immemorial, he has foreordained that I will do them. He's still going to reward me for them. Are you grateful for that? But doesn't that communicate a little bit of, or a lot, of just how much it is God and not me, and how much whatever reward I have needs to be laid at the feet of Christ because it is really him through us that has done the work? Again, it is a pride buster. It's a pride buster for man. I did it. That's why Frank Sinatra's dead. He did it his way. How would you like me to break out into New York, New York? No, let's not do that. I'd, yeah, thank you for not doing that. No. And, and God built the tracks, and he guides the trains. <laughs> and, and do you really want to be on your own, knowing what you know about the Scripture? No, thanks. I'd be like a toddler. I'd take my set toys and leave the sandbox. Okay. I don't, uh, so divine sovereignty in no way negates human responsibility. Human responsibility exists inside, as Brian talked about in the train tracks, inside of divine sovereignty. And so even though God has prepared the works for me to do, he will still reward me for doing them when I, in love for Christ, gladly do them. So it is also that when I, after salvation, having had my mind regenerated, make a decision, a choice by God's sovereignty, to, do, to not do some good thing that I know is good, I will not be rewarded for that poor choice. That also exists within the sovereignty of God. The scripture says that to, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is evil. And that scripture is true. I will not be rewarded for that choice. Again, the sovereign choice of God to elect me means that my sin was paid for at the cross. So I have no punishment for not doing that. But there have been times when you, I, I tried to come up with a good metaphor, and some of these you just can't, a good analogy. But there have been times when your parents wanted you to do something, and it wasn't, you know, something that would save someone's life or, or cause the house not to burn down. It was just something they wanted you to do, and you didn't do it, and you knew it, and you felt bad about it. Nobody died. Nobody got in trouble. It was just something you could have done. You kind of knew. 
that they would have been excited and delighted if you'd done it, but they wouldn't be upset at you if you didn't, and you didn't do it, and there's that, I wish I'd have done it. Yes? So, I'll try. If I meet somebody, one of the first things in my mind that I'm praying about is, I want an opportunity to share the gospel. And I'm very thankful for that. But there are more times often than not that it just, I don't get that opportunity from my perspective lead into the gospel, and, and, and that moment is lost, and I many times make excuses to myself of, oh, this, I didn't want to force it, there wasn't time, and now I'm wondering, am I doing evil, because I didn't force the conversation to go in the gospel? No. No. I know what that's the good I need to do, I need to share the gospel. Is it to such a point where I need to get there no matter what? Every situation will have its own context, and if your heart is to share the gospel, and in My your heart's your heart's deceitfully wicked, but the Holy Spirit is in your is living in you, and you desire to share the gospel, do you not? Yes. You're going to look for an opportunity, do you? Are you not? Yes. If you, as a non-divine human, do not see an opportunity, you really don't. It is no sin. But in retrospect, you can say now. Now, how could I have done that better? Yeah, how could I have done that better? No, that, that is to say, no, no, it's, it, it, God judges at the Bema seat the things that you knew that you rationalized away. Those are the things that you will know you could have done and you wouldn't get a reward for. But the things that you tried, you wanted, you had every intention, your heart was right as, it, as much as our hearts can be right, and you didn't get it, you didn't get to that point, that's not a sin. That's not a sin. Any, any other, Jess, do you agree with that? So someone plants, someone melts waters, but God brings the harvest. And so you're going to be amazed when you get there and you go, I did that? Wow. So, when you're being paid for an eight-hour job, and you're at your desk, and your coworkers at your desk, you're not being paid to evangelizing. So there's one. But how can I? When can we, we can get together for coffee? You know, scheme. That's you know. But yes. Amen. So that's an example. Your heart was to bring the gospel. The, the, from your perspective, as a fallen human being, the door opened and you went through it. Amen. But if the option came, you heard the option, the door opened and you went and kicked that puppy shut, you're not going to get a reward for that. So... The punishment's covered, but you're not going to get a reward for that. Okay, everybody, okay. Same thing with the works. That's a work. 
That is a work. And God is going to reward for those things that in his sovereignty he prepared for us and we entered into it. Just like we're entering into the rest. Jim's going to get to the rest in Hebrew and, and I, I think that some of the concepts that attend that will also attend this, this idea. We enter into the things that God has done for us. And when we don't enter into them, the payment of sin has been paid. But the loss, that which we didn't do, that which we could have done inside God's sovereignty will not be rewarded. And we will understand at the Bema seat what those things were. Now, we're at a point where there's going to be some satisfaction with this and still some questions. Don't ask them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just... I'm just kidding. I'm just, I really, I am just kidding, because this, this has been a wonderful exercise for me. Okay, Razor, what do you really believe? You know? And uh, so, at the Bema seat, it will be evident at the review of my life that this was something I should have done, could have done, and didn't do it. And, sometime, and in the context of God's sovereignty, although he had, predest, he had not predestined me to do it, I, it presented itself to me, and I knowingly chose not to, and thus I will lose that reward. There will be no reward for it. Now, there's a... There's a conundrum. If you don't think it was a conundrum, okay. I confess that there are some things in Scripture that my sad mind cannot fully comprehend and therefore explain. But as one wise old sage put it, he put it this way. He said, there are many things in the Scriptures that I can understand. And there are many things in the Scriptures that I cannot understand. But there are plenty of things in the Scriptures that I cannot misunderstand. And I contend that as I'm busy about the things that I cannot misunderstand, God will bring more and more light into my life so that I will become more and more useful to him as he ordains, has ordained, to actually fully explain the concepts of God being able to foreordain something and yet me entering into that foreordination by, by doing what I'm supposed to do can only be explained so far. That is not a cop-out. There may be people on this planet that can do a better job. I think there are two of them sitting in here. But this is as far as I can get. Here's what I have come to in my life, so you'll understand me. You read Romans 9? I remember, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was reformed. But I remember reading Romans 9 and going, yeah, God can do that. If you want to exercise, read Romans 9, Romans 9 today. Just, it's a really good chapter. Can he make someone for wrath? He can do whatever he chooses to do, ladies and gentlemen. If he wants to throw a halter around your neck and drag you into heaven and not put one on the ne guy next to you, he can do that. And who am I to deny the potter the authority to make what he will make? And Paul answers those questions in that way. And I take, I take heart that, that he does. God desires for us to do good works, and yet he foreordained it. Those two things are like those train tracks. His desire and, and his foreordination work in, in concert with each other in a manner that I'm not fully able to explain. And I did a bunch of study this week, and I found that there was a whole bunch of other people who weren't fully able to explain it either. But that's where faith comes in. Trust. Do I believe that what he has said is true? And do I believe that what he has said will come to pass? I do. And I believe everyone else in here is, 
is the same. Now, with that said, are there still some questions that I might be able to answer? Yes. No. So do you see a distinction in, in predestination, God's sovereignty, and how he works with preparing the good works for us to, you know, choose to do or not to do? Like you say, you get in that scenario, and it's like, I wish I would have. Versus salvation, he grabs you and drags you to it. To me, I, I, I'm just wondering if I'm looking at it wrong, I see them as two a little bit different. So, in other words, are you asking the question, does he drag you to the good work, too? He, is, there, is there a distinction between salvation versus good I don't believe there is. I think that the, 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 the work is the same. The salvation and the good works are a package, if you will. Now, that being said, there's people that are saved, and they immediately die. So there obviously were no foreordained good works for them. They're saved like, like the thief on the cross. I think of the thief on the cross. Although he did... No, not the thief on the cross. He actually did something. He chewed out the other guy for not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brian. Yes, they are. Yeah. So, yeah, never, never be, let it be said that I was saying that the good works are part of the salvation. They're not. What I meant was that the life, it's a package in the sense that He's foreordained our salvation and he's foreordained our good works. But the good works, as Brian pointed out, flow out of a loving heart, delighted for salvation, doing the things that God has brought into their path. Doing the things that God has brought into their path. So, yeah. And you've all had that with your parents. Those of, you, those of us that have had pretty good parents, even at least one good parent, yeah. So the very works themselves are a prepared destination, if you will, for us. And it's the same as the salvation. It was given to us. The works were given to us. But we have to believe. Yes, Peter. So, why the judgment? Why, why is there this determination to be made about our works when they're just as done by God as our salvation? So there's a desire. There's a desire in every teacher to have an answer for every question. 
and you're at the end of my ability. Here's what I will say, and if James, Jim, or Jeffs want to weigh in, please do. Here's what I will say. It is because God has decreed it to be so. So he has said, you cannot choose salvation. But he has said, your good works are preordained, and you're going to do them. And I'm going to reward you for them. To me, it's just another distinct demonstration of the total unworthiness we have to even stand before him. So not only do I have no worthiness to stand before him, I have no worthiness to acknowledge a reward, a receipt of reward for a deed. It's all of grace. It's all of love. And that's as far as I can go. So we've got a little time. We'll take the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is too good to be true. And that's why he had to write it down and send his son to put his stamp of genuineness on it because it's too good to be true. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'd love to have an answer for you. Maybe Jess or Jim or Dave, but that's as far as my human mind will go. He has said it, that we're going to get a reward for works that he's done through us. That's like, well, that, okay, I'm not going to say that's like. I'm done. <laughs> yes. So part of this is founded in the, the fact that the body has not been redeemed yet. And it still groans. It's broken. Our spirit has been redeemed. We are seated. Do you picture yourself seated at the right hand of God? That's really hard for me to do without, in my mind, going burning up, you know. <laughs> but he says so, and it's the same book, Ephesians. But yet, our body has not been redeemed. We groan for that day. And our groaning, part of our groaning is not entering in to some of the works that that body should do. The body of flesh, when we walk in the flesh, and that was a, good, that was a, that was a biblical distinction, thank you. The body of flesh, I see, okay, I'll get right to you, Barbara. The body of flesh, when we walk in the flesh, we do not do the things of the Spirit. Barbara. I'd have to look at that word, but that's interesting. Any other questions, comments? It's Pat.
It is not up to us. It is up to God to grab us by the nape of the neck and lead us, take us to it, draw us, drag us to it. It is up to Him. We wouldn't go. We wouldn't go. Thank God He did. The effectual call. The effective call. The irresistible call. It's an irresistible call. It's a D7 towing a Tonka toy. <laughs> you know what that is. Oh, that was for you, Pat. <laughs> okay. I know this has been somewhat satisfying, but not completely satisfying. And we will continue as we... I'm sure the questions will come up as we finish, as we go through the rest of 2 Corinthians. And I have no objection to it. It's an opportunity for me to study more. Jess... Yes. Everyone hear that? The working in Ephesians chapter 10, the working, the ordination, the working of those good works is an evidence of our salvation. It is not a securing, but an evidence of our salvation. A good evidence of our salvation. Nafel. Yeah. When you're walking by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is He going to trip? I trip all the time. The Holy Spirit does not trip. Yep. The body is not redeemed yet, but it's going to be. And once it's redeemed, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Let's close in prayer. Father, sometimes we run up against things that we can't quite get our minds around. But more than anything, that should remind us that you are infinite. And this is not a conundrum to you. And there is going to come a time when we will know even as we are known. Because now we see through a glass darkly. We ask you to illuminate our minds. Help us to understand as much as you have deemed we need to, need, need to understand. But uh, we do know that you are good. We do know that you have chosen your sheep. And we do know that you have redeemed them. And that you have caused them and will cause them to walk in good works. Help us to be about the business of, of finding those good works and doing them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.